Thank you, Malcolm. Beautifully read. Well, I have to say it's been, uh, since we've come back, it's been a big week in the Norris family. I have three boys. The youngest started school on uh, Wednesday, and uh, he went pretty well, and it got me thinking about school. I don't know whether you like your time at school or not, and I had a really good time at school. I love school, although I did dread the time when the reports would come. And uh, I'll never forget this one I got. Uh, I opened it up, and it said this. Mike started the year well. He has, however, got into the wrong crowd. And it has affected his performance, his personality, and his poise. <laughs> I remember thinking, thanks for nothing. My parents are going to kill me. All I want to do tonight is really ask you whether you've ended up in the wrong crowd. That's my question for tonight. Have you, have I, ended up in the wrong crowd? And as you know, we're starting a new series tonight based on this story, the parable of the lost son. And often, I think, when we think about this story that Jesus told, we jump straight in. But actually, if you're to really understand this story, what you need to do is start at the beginning of Luke chapter 15 and see the context to what Jesus or to, into which Jesus tells this story. You see, the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day. They thought Jesus was hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. They thought he was in the wrong crowd. That's clear from verses 1 to 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And the whole point is, here's this Jesus guy who's claiming to be God, who's claiming to be holy. And their logic is he can't be holy because he's spending time with the wrong sorts of people. Holy people don't do that. He'll be contaminated. And so they're questioning who he is and what he does. Now, I don't know if you imagine the scene. You've got some tax collectors. You've got some sinners. Dreadful word. We'll come back to that. We've got the Pharisees. Let's put the Pharisees in this corner, actually. The Pharisees are in this corner. They've just said that about your life, about what you're up to. I don't know what you'd say. I don't know whether you'd sort of challenge them. I don't know whether you'd tell them to bog off or try and have an intelligent conversation with who you are and what you're about. Jesus being Jesus always surprises, and he tells three stories in response to their grumblings and mutterings. And these stories, in many respects, uh, are quite strange stories. The first, as we just heard, is a curious story. It's almost comic about a shepherd. He's got 100 sheep. He loses one. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. That's between um, verses, what is it, three to four? The second story, actually, I remember the first time I read that, I thought this seems a bit fairly mundane. There's a woman, she's got 10 coins, she loses one, she lights a lamp, and she spends the rest of the day trying to find it, and eventually she finds it. Okay. The third story I found a bit more interesting. It's about a man who has two sons, and he ends up losing one of them. And uh, you heard the story, uh, this this uh, father has two sons. The younger son comes to him, effectively sticks two fingers up at him and says, Look, I just want your money. I don't want a relationship with you. Give me your money that I'm owed. He does. 
who goes off. He has this wild existence, a bit like Augustine in his youth. And, uh, you know, he ends up actually uh, getting lost. What is Jesus doing here in telling these stories? What would the people sitting there think as they heard him tell these seemingly random, in some respects sweet, in some respects quite strange stories? They sound sweet, they sound simple. What Jesus is doing is he's really, really confronting the Pharisees. And he's basically saying to them, you know, in saying what you've just said, you've really just shown that you've forgotten who God is and you've forgotten what his priorities are and you've forgotten how he operates. And he says, the thing is, you've fallen into the greatest temptation that all God-fearing, all religious people always run the risk of falling into. That is, it's you who've fallen into the wrong crowd. And tonight, briefly, I just want to unpack this. You see, the first thing Jesus says in these stories is that people who are in the right crowd, if you like, truly spiritual people or holy people, if you like, welcome everyone. They don't stand like the Pharisees in a corner with their arms folded saying, oh, them and they're useless and they're hopeless and they do this and that and they do that and that. That's not what holy people do according to Jesus. And they didn't welcome everyone. And Jesus tells these stories and he's effectively saying, guys, you've forgotten that God welcomes everyone and he has compassion on everyone because all people of wherever country, whatever race, have the tendency actually to get lost. They just get lost. I was in holiday in Cornwall uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, I was in St. Ives. Anyone been to St. Ives? It's a nice place. I thought I'd walk back along the coastal path uh, to where we were staying. And I'm chronically dyslexic, so I had this awful sense of direction. Bex always says to me, Mike, if you think it's left, just go right. So I'm walking along, and uh, you know when you think, it's, it's 20 minutes. I asked a lady, I said, how long is this? She said, 20 minutes to get to where you said. I thought, God, like 40 minutes as far. So I'm thinking, this is not good. You know, you know that feeling, and you start to something. You look for the signs, and I started to feel a bit anxious. And then, like an hour passed, I'm starting to feel quite frightened. I didn't show that behind this masculine exterior, but I'm thinking, what, what is going, what is going on here? And I had that awful thing of being lost. Well, Jesus in these stories is reminding the disciples, sorry, the Pharisees, that people get lost, and uh, obviously, the sheep gets lost in the story. The coin gets lost and the sun gets lost. And really, Jesus is saying, you know, we must welcome all people. I am spending time with tax collectors who I know you hate, Pharisees, and actually lots of people hate because they're getting money for Herod or the Romans, the uh, occupying army. I know you hate them. And also this word sinners, uh, in the New Testament, it's quite unclear knowing actually what that word uh, means. It's often not a moral um, uh, judgment, actually. It's often about people's wealth or poverty and, and how much they know of the law. Um, but Jesus is saying, I'm eating with these people. I'm spending time with these people because that's what God's like. He loves people. People get lost 
and he has great compassion for them. And I'm God, and that's what I'm doing. And you've got so religious, you've got so up yourself with your laws, with your codes, with your holiness, with your purity rituals, that you've forgotten who God is and what his heart is. And of course, when we read these stories, these stories read us, don't they? This is the frightening thing about the Bible. It reads us. And we have to ask ourselves as well as we hear these stories, are we in the right crowd? Or are we in the wrong crowd? Are we welcoming everybody? Or have we sort of started to make judgments about people and, and, and boxed people and labeled people and withdrawn from people? It's a great hazard for all God-fearing people. And you might say, well, Mike, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I genuinely don't judge other people. I genuinely don't point my finger at other people, and I'd absolutely believe you. But one of the great hazards in the church is that we end up in the Christian bubble, don't we? We end up in the Christian bubble. And rather depressingly, uh, research, recent research has shown that when someone comes to faith, they know lots of people all over the place. They hang out with all sorts of people. Within two years, Christians just hang out with Christians on the whole. Of course, there are exceptions, but on the whole, that's what happens. So I want to ask you tonight, in light of this story, in light of this challenge of Jesus to the Pharisees, we have to let it rebound onto us. I want to ask you tonight, are you in a holy, holy Christian bubble? And a good question to ask yourself is, well, who am I eating with? Who's around my kitchen table? And this is challenging, isn't it? But often we listen to Christian music, Christian radio, we listen to the things online, we hang out with Christians, and we forget God's heart for the lost and God's compassion for people who don't know him. And as a church, as you know, in a few weeks' time, at the beginning of October, we're changing all the service times. We're changing all of our services. We're having quite an upheaval here, which is an exciting one. And what's primarily driving it is that we want to more uh, effectively welcome people at this church. And we want to be able to more effectively reach out to people in the community. That's the core driver, because we want to be like Christ, and we want this church to be a place where anyone and everyone, whatever their beliefs, whatever their story, whatever their moral situation, whatever their lifestyle, can actually come here and know the welcome of Jesus Christ. So are you standing in the right crowd in your life at the moment, or are you standing in a little huddle, in a little bubble over here with the Pharisees? And if you're in the bubble, whatever you do, burst it quick. And it's really, really easy to burst. It's not difficult. You'll think it's difficult. It's really easy. Just, just get out there. Let me unpack this a little bit more. Second thing Jesus reminds the Pharisees in these stories 
he kind of says, you know, people who are in the right crowd, or really holy people, if you like, actually, truly spiritual people, exert huge efforts in searching after lost people. Holy people go in search of lost people. I was doing some stuff yesterday at the kitchen table, got the little laptop out, tapping away, bit of a coffee, Bets comes in and says, oh, I've lost my mobile phone. You know that feeling? You know, it's a bit annoying. You start looking for the mobile phone, you know, and can't find it, look everywhere. What do you do? You, you ring the number, don't you? You ring the number. Boys, be quiet. Be put, boys, be quiet. I think it must be on silent. And um, so, so then you have to get even more quiet, don't you? And hear the little nothing, absolutely nothing. And we start thinking, oh my gosh, Bex is like, oh my gosh, I've lost my phone. Can't afford to replace it. This is a real nightmare. And I've got to get hold of these people. I don't have their numbers. It's an absolute nightmare. We joined a football club in the morning with the boys, and she's on the phone. Uh, calling the football club if you found a, a, a mobile phone. And she, I said, look, I'll check the car. If you check the car, you haven't checked the car. Well, I'll go and check the car for you then. And um, so then I go into the car, you know, beep, beep, open up the car. And you know, you know your routine, you look, you look, you know that little funny bit down the side of the seat, don't you? That it always goes down, you know that bit. So I was looking down like that, I couldn't see it. I put my hand down there. You always hit the big biro, don't you? That's, that's, it goes under your nails, like, mm, thank you for that. And then you think, maybe it's down the back of the seat. You look under the back, it's, should I look or not? And you go, okay, I will look. I'll just do this properly. And no, it's not there. I then phone the number again. I go back, Bex, it's not in the car. It's not in the car. She's on the phone anyway, anyway, yeah, see if you could. So then I think, I'll look around the house, I'll look around the house. I eventually find it in the bathroom. Yes. And I gave it to Beck. She's on the phone leaving a message. She's going, I'm really, if you can find my phone. I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, I found my phone. Don't worry, ignore this message. Oh, sorry. We're searching for the phone. Searching is the second main theme of these stories, isn't it? The shepherd in the first story, he's got a hundred sheep, he loses one. The wording emphasizes that he expends great effort and energy finding his lost sheep. The woman in the story, she's got ten coins, she loses one. She actually spends the day sweeping, trying to find this coin, and then she finds it. And, uh, of course, the alarm bells are going off as we read the story about the shepherd because who's the shepherd? The shepherd is a picture of God in the Bible. God is portrayed as the shepherd. So here is this shepherd searching. The Pharisees know what's going on. They've read Ezekiel 34. They know the problems with uh, the shepherd and the image of uh, the shepherd in the Bible. And uh, the blood is starting to boil. Because what's Jesus saying? He's saying, you know, you know, really, you know, uh, what God is doing, what I'm doing, I'm ignoring you, the 99. Because you're perfect, aren't you? You're really, really holy. You're wonderful, you Pharisees. But I'm going after the one, the lost, the tax collectors, the people whose lives are broken, who feel marginalized and outcast. I'm going after them, the one. And I'm ignoring you for the minute. I'm a searching God. I'm a looking God. And I'm going to expend myself 
finding the lost. The edge in these stories gets sharper because the woman uh, in the second story, what on earth is Jesus doing? He's comparing God to a woman. You just didn't do that in that culture. Women were marginalized, underprivileged, and ostracized. A Jewish man in that day woke up every morning and prayed, thank God I am not a woman. Jesus is comparing God to a woman. Their faces are red, and they're going absolutely mad. But then there's a problem in the story. You've spotted it, haven't you, in the third story. What's the problem with the third story? Someone looks for the sheep, the woman looks for the coin, but no one looks for the son. The son leaves, the father waits, the elder son does nothing. No one searches. And as we'll see over the next weeks, the elder son are the Pharisees in this story. And Jesus is saying, look, guys, you've lost. You're in this holy bubble. You're pointing your finger at people. You've forgotten who God is, and you're not even searching. You're the religious leaders of your day. You're the shepherds of God's people. And as it says in Ezekiel 34, you're just not even looking or caring for the sheep. And it's easy again to sort of look at them and go, ah, yes, Pharisees, yours. But we can end up like them. And as Christians, a basic question we have to ask ourselves regularly is, who are we searching for? Because Jesus has, has commissioned us, his church, to go and search for people. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. So who are you searching for? Often... In my own life, I I forget to search for anyone. And often in the church, one of the challenges, particularly for the church in this country, is we don't look for anyone. And this is a problem for the church because we're not characterizing or reflecting God's heartbeat. And so what I want to do is give you some practical ideas. You know, if you're not searching for anyone, if you're not looking for the lost, why not just write down all your family, their names? Why not write down all your close friends? Why not write down your work colleagues? And, and seriously, uh, just start praying about them, that God would impact their lives, and then start relating with them. Start spending time with them. Start having meals with them and um, welcoming them and getting to know them. And then, of course, start speaking about God to them. I don't mean this in a let's all go weird and wacky and, and pressurize people and hound people. 
That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about reflecting God's heart and love and acceptance to people and speaking about Christ. You know, the reality of it is, when we're like that, people flock to us. People flock to Jesus. That's what the, that's what the Pharisees couldn't stand. Here's this guy. Everyone's following him. People go without food just to hear him speak. People climb up trees just to see him. They're not doing that for us. And I'd encourage you with this life course banquet on the 30th of September to invite some people in. To invite friends along for a great night. And maybe... Who knows what God will do when we do that? And then finally and very briefly, the Jesus in these stories reminds the Pharisees that people who are in the right crowd, if you like, holy people, spiritual people, actually know how to have fun and celebrate. You see... The Pharisees hated the fact that Jesus ate with these sorts of people. They say, you're a drunk and a glutton. And they couldn't stand the life he was modeling and living. But according to these stories, Jesus isn't just a God who has compassion for lost people. He's not just a God who goes searching for people in Jesus. He's actually... A God who knows how to celebrate as well and, and, and understands what celebration is about. The shepherd celebrates when he finds his sheep, doesn't he? Five to seven. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it over his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, says Jesus, in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. There's irony in his voice here, isn't there? You don't need to repent, do you? You're squeaky clean, you guys. You've got it all taped. You're the real God squad. Wow. The woman celebrates when she finds her coin, 9 to 10, and when she finds it, she calls her friends. And neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, says Jesus, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One. And then, of course, the father celebrates when his son comes back. The eldest son, this Pharisee figure, is not very happy. Well, look at this. Refuses to come into the party. His father goes out to meet him and says, verses 31 to 32, My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And here's the rub. You were dead and you're alive again. 
Once you were lost, but now you're found. And there's been a party in heaven over your life. And looking to the future, wouldn't it be great if we actually had lots and lots and lots and lots of parties here in heaven? As we kind of do the Jesus thing and model the Jesus life of compassion, of service, of care, of love, of searching for the sake of the lost. So I just want to end with a question. What crowd are you in? What crowd are you in? A real problem for religious people is you end up in the wrong crowd. What we're going to do is we're going to have the opportunity to respond to this. We're going to sing a song of worship. Then we're going to just wait on the presence of the Spirit. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to be prayed for tonight and for the Spirit just to touch your lives. Because being a Christian is an ongoing encounter, isn't it? We ongoingly encounter God through His Spirit.